Uh, hey, thanks for being here. I think this is a pretty important message, and it gets distorted in a lot of places uh, over the years. In fact, I'm responsible for probably distorting it many times before, like Keith said, you come to discover things about the scripture and about yourself. Uh, but this is kind of important. I'm going to take you back to Acts chapter 1, verse 1, and, and watch this real quick. It says, I write the first narrative, Theophilus, that's another name for Luke. His first letter was his own personal letter, Luke, which was chronological history of Jesus' ministry here on earth. He says, I write the first narrative about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up. After he had given instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After, after he had suffered, he also presented himself alive to them by many convincing proofs appearing them appearing to them over a period of 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while he was with them, he commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for the Father's promise, which, he said, you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit in a few days. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, are you restoring the kingdom to Israel at this time? He said to them, it's not for you to know times or periods that the Father has set by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come on you. Let me repeat that again. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. In the last few verses. After he had said this, he was taken up as they were watching, and a cloud took him out of their sight. While he was going, they were gazing into heaven, and suddenly two men... And white clothes stood by them. They said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking up to the heaven? This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come in the same way that you have seen him going into heaven. Now, that's the first 11 verses of the book of Acts that Luke wrote. And it's all about Jesus. The rest of Acts is about the church. Like only 11 verses about Jesus' ministry, and he's gone. But he's sending a spirit to live inside of his believers. That would be you that believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and the Savior of the world. That would be you. So he sent this spirit to live inside of you. And I, I get messed up by using the word responsibility like it's our responsibility to grow the church no it's not my responsibility to grow the church but do I ha have a role in that absolutely I do I have a role in that and that this he says the spirit comes but you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you he the Holy Spirit has come on me and is in me and as Keith was saying, I have the choice to either live by the Spirit or walk by the flesh. And if I live by the Spirit, the byproduct then is that the church is going to grow. And so he spends this whole, like all these books, Acts, and all of Paul's letters, and 
the other letters that follow is all about the church. That's us. About it, like he left, left it with 12 men. And look at this. Here we are a couple thousand years later meeting in pinheads talking about it. That's pretty crazy to think about, that you guys got up, got out in the rain, and you came here just to talk about Jesus. What we have today in this room is reliant on the Spirit working through the believers. That would be the church. I go back to where we are. We're in Ephesians chapter 4. I'll back up to last week's verse, verse 7. It says, Now grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Where did the gift come from? It says, Christ's gift. You have been blessed with a gift from Jesus. Now, he goes into verse 11, and he describes what those gifts are. And he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers. If you take the New Testament and you look at our role, call it uh, not expectations, not responsibilities, but just our, our calling, you can find in 1 Corinthians, you can find in Romans 12, different list of the, the gifts that God has given to the church. These verses do not refer to individual Christian lives. It really don't. It's not about just the individual himself, but it's more about the collectiveness of the saints. That's how it works together. Like, what good, am, what good am I if I'm a teacher and I just teach myself? It doesn't even make sense. So he's given us gifts. The individual saint really can't be perfected in their skill, their gift, unless they're with other saints. He gave some to be apostles. For what purpose? To show how clever they were? To show that they had something special that no one else had? No, he gave them apostles so that the word may be spread. Now, apostles here actually means to be a messenger of God. And there's two things. Do we have apostles today? Uh, Apostles, as we know it, were the ones that actually got to walk with Jesus and experience his ministry. That would be the 12 disciples, minus Judas, plus Paul. Because Paul, remember, was downloaded everything from Jesus, and he was considered an apostle. But, but then you've also got other people that are referred to as, a, as apostles, such as Timothy. But Timothy wasn't around Jesus' ministry. So, but it's referring to those that really took the gospel, the message, to virgin territories, places that had never, ever, ever heard of Jesus before. And so... Sometimes the word apostleship can be used for those that have taken it to places of the unknown, which is what Timothy did. And their whole responsibility or giftedness that they received was to impart the truth that was taught by Christ. Not their own opinions, but here's what Christ taught. And they really were considered the final authority of the church at at that point. Like, 
if there was question, then they went back to those original apostles. They didn't have this, okay? They didn't have this. And so they literally sat in rooms like this and they just talked about what God was doing in their lives. And if there was something that was like wrong, they would literally go back to the apostles and say, it was, could this be filtered through Jesus' teachings? Because they had been with Jesus according to 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 1. Uh, and then he says, prophets. What are prophets? He, he, when you think about prophets, you literally think about people that are foretelling the future. That's what you, you have your, your major prophets and your minor prophets in the Old Testament, and God used them to like say, okay, this is what's going to happen. But then also their word prophet is used for preachers and people that are expound on the teachings and the word of God for the purpose of encouraging and strengthening the church. And again, their message has to line up with the apostles' message. It would make sense. Apostles and prophets were viewed as necessary roles in building the foundation of the church. I go back to what we talked about a few weeks ago, Ephesians chapter 2, watch this. It says, verse 18, For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of God's household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, with Christ Jesus himself as the cornerstone. In him the whole building being put together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you are also being built together for God's dwelling in the Spirit. So now the apostles and the prophets, they're the foundation, they're the ones that we look to, everything else. And we, we, we have it right here. We have the teachings of those apostles and those prophets. And then he says evangelist. If I say evangelist in this room, you automatically go, oh... Because a couple of things, you think, oh, they are always asking for money. And they preach that message of the hellfire and damnation message. I mean, when I grew up, that's what the evangelists did. They came to the church, you know, they were these traveling speakers and teachers. And they would try to get you to make a salvation decision. And the best way to do that is to scare you. I mean, it was, a, it was a fear tactic. It was like, hey, if you don't want to go to hell, then you need Jesus. And so we have this association with this era of evangelists, which isn't necessarily true. An evangelist was, they're just traveling missionaries, both home and, for, that's what they are. Evangelists are, are missionaries. They would go place to place, and they would talk about the goodness of Jesus. And I take you back to Romans chapter 2. It says, how does the Lord lead to repentance? He leads to repentance through his kindness. His kindness. So literally evangelists would go into the homes and hang out with people and love on people as they were. They were honest with them. They were truthful with them. They loved on them. That's what the evangelists did. Not the evangelists that we think of today when we see this word. And then he says pastors. The Greek form of that word is actually means to shepherd one that cares for their flock. That's also referred to as the overseers, 
the elders, the bishops, all those words that are used throughout the New Testament. And here's what I'll say. I, you call me pastor. Some of you call me pastor. Uh, on my business card, it says director of a nonprofit ministry because I really try to, like, in the public, not be like a pastor. <laughs> it's... I, there's something about it uh, when you say that you're a pastor, everybody just kind of like shuts down. But if I can just be a real person among them and have the opportunity to talk about Jesus in light of everything, but to you, yeah, I'm considered a pastor. And this would be the flock. And a shepherd protects the flock. But remember this you are not my flock. You are not my flock. You are Jesus' flock. I, I'll do my best to lead you, to, to guide you, protect this ministry or whatever, but if he, it, it's like, it, go, back to that, go back to that passage. It says that the foundation was built on the apostles and the prophets, but what was the cornerstone? It was Jesus Christ. If it's not Jesus Christ up here, then you're in trouble. You're in trouble. He has to be the leader, the pastor of the flock. He's the ultimate authority in the church. And then he also says the word teacher, teacher of the word. They're kind of viewed as the same role, the pastor and the teacher. If God reveals things to you above the rest of the community, he's probably going to place you in a group where people want to hear from you. I'm not the only teacher in this room. There are many, many teachers in this room because they study the word of God, the Holy Spirit's in them, the Holy Spirit speaks to them, the Holy Spirit reveals to them, and people want to hear about their, what they've learned and what they've discovered. Iron sharpens iron. That's what teachers do. He doesn't give us those roles to make us better than anybody. I'm not better than anybody else in this room. But he gives me a role so his word can be used and spread. It's not something that you earn. It's not something that you vie for. I promise you, he will just put you there. He, Luke, several years ago, used to said, I just want some men that want to pursue the Lord. You remember that? And uh, at that time, you weren't discipling anybody. And now all of a sudden, you got this group of men that are like showing up on Friday mornings at, before the sun comes up, and uh, the Lord does it. He puts you there. You didn't buy for it, but you literally prayed for it, right? And then I, I think the other thing for me, too, and those that are teachers is sometimes our insight can cause us to be kind of critical of other ministers. Uh, I, I know this, not everybody teaches like I do, not everybody teaches what I do. And so I've either learned to like filter what I hear or I just stop listening. <laughs> and that doesn't make me better, that doesn't, I just... I just have to be able to hear from the Spirit and what he reveals to me. Verse 12, it says this, to equip the saints for the work of ministry. 
to build up the body of Christ. All ministries, which are, are gifts of God's, are given to the local bodies really to equip the saints who assemble together to do fellowship and to do ministry. People ask, well, oh, why do we get together on Sunday mornings? Why, why, does, why is it necessary that we meet at Pinhands? It's not necessary. It is absolutely not necessary that we meet here on Sunday mornings. But the truth of the matter is, this is a community that thinks alike, wants to learn the word, wants to be together, is learning to become dependent upon the spirit, which means then you become dependent upon one another. There's so many resources and abilities in this room right here where the body begins to like work together as one and there's a desire to just be together. That's really why we come here on Sunday morning. We don't have some kind of machine or ministry that is dependent upon us being here on Sunday mornings, collecting an offering, you know, and doing church. It's not. That's, that's, I think when we first started meeting, we still do on occasion. We did like in two weeks, we're not having church here on Sunday. A lot of churches couldn't do that because they missed their, their tithing. Uh, we're not dependent upon that. It's really just about fellowship to equip the saints for the work of ministry. And I think also you, you go through the scripture and his word just like really pounds on the proud flesh. If it becomes a flesh thing, if this thing becomes a, f- a flesh thing, man, then it, it is all out of whack. Like if it's about Levner, if it's about Rusty, if it's about you or whatever, then uh, again, we're here for the wrong reasons. And I, I believe this, no matter uh what a person does, no matter how successful they may seem to be in any field, if the Holy Spirit is not the the chief energizer of their activity, it's probably going to fall apart. I mean, I I get an email almost every day about the different ministries that collapsed because they were dependent upon the person running them. And uh, just last night, they asked the question, what happens if you die, Rusty? What, what's going to happen to... I get asked that question a lot in here. <laughs> I don't know why they're thinking about me dying, but... Um, <laughs> and I thought, I think about it. I think, well, what happens is, and I have no doubt that this thing would continue on. That it is not about me. You know, I, I, am, I am fortunate, I am blessed to be sitting in this seat right here. I... I'm humbled to be sitting in the seat. I'm thankful to be sitting in the seat. I love the opportunity to just study the word and just regurgitate it, what the Spirit's leading me to do. Uh, but if it's based upon my own accomplishments and my own talents, uh, later on it's going to be recognized as wood, hay, and straw. Worthless. So to equip the saints for ministry to one another. It's my role to teach you and to encourage you in who you are so that you may work together. Second Timothy 4 says this, preach the word. 
Be ready in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and teaching. For the time will come when people will not tolerate sound doctrine, but according to their own desires will multiply teachers for themselves because they have an itch to hear and they want to hear. They will turn away from hearing the truth and will turn aside to myths. But as for you, exercise self-control in everything. Endure hardship. Do the work of an evangelist. Fulfill your ministry. Man, I take that seriously. I take that seriously. Like, this is probably one of the most important things I do is have 30 minutes with you just to teach the word. And I'm not going to give you one, two, three points. I'm not going to give you a bunch of illustrations. I just want to break the word down and teach the saints who they are so they will naturally take care of each other. That's what I care about. The pastor teacher cannot take a group any deeper spiritual depth than I am myself. And I have to spend time in the Word. Keith said in 2007, he's looking at me like, what did I say? What if we just had a guy that all he did was just study the Word and didn't have to do anything else? Like his whole responsibility was was literally just to study, to study, study, and everybody else did the work. I can't say that's exactly what's happened. But I do treasure my time that I get to study. And the reason that I have that time is because I have incredible ministers sitting in this room. Like, I don't go to the hospital every time somebody's there. I just don't. And why don't I? Because you guys do. You guys go there. You guys, you do the, the food when people need food. You do the ministry if it's all dependent upon me. And, and the church, the church has been terrible, terrible at putting on all that on the pastor and the staff and everybody else. And just everybody gives money so that the staff can go do their thing. And that's just not the way it was designed to be. My role is to uh, teach, to love, to encourage. Yeah, I'm, I'm a networked guy. Yeah, I can like do that operator thing on Petticoat Junction. These kids have no idea what I'm talking about. But <laughs> yeah, that, I, I think that I'm designed for that as well. But th- this, you want your teacher to study. You want to go deeper. Not that you can't go deeper, and there's a lot of people in this room that are a lot deeper than I am. I get it. In verse 13, he says this, until we all reach unity in the faith in the knowledge of God's Son growing into maturity with a stature measured by Christ's fullness. In times of testing and hardship, I've heard believers, I've heard Christians just cry in their discouragement. How can I believe that God loves me? I get that question all the time. How do I know that God loves me? And I sit there and I'll say, take this, take this, and study the word. Study the character of God. 
he's a loving God. Yeah, there's evil that's going on in the world. There's no question about it. And sometimes when it happens to us, we go, God, why did you? No. God didn't do that. God loves you. He cares for you. There's evil in this world. And you're going to suffer the consequences of it, whether you make your own bad choices or those around you make bad choices. Our unity in faith right here is, is founded on that filter that we talk about every Sunday in here, which is our identity in Jesus Christ. You knowing who you are and what you have is the foundation of this whole room right here. If you know that you're saved, if you know that you're loved, if you know what you've been made into, that you've been made perfect, if you've been made holy, that you've been redeemed, again, it causes you to live your life differently. And it allows you to understand God. It's like, where to... To get the knowledge of God's Son, where do you get the knowledge of God's Son? You read the Word and the Spirit's going to reveal it to you. And then Christ's fullness, look at Ephesians chapter 3. We did this a few weeks ago. You're not going anywhere because it's raining good. I got all the time in the world. Ephesians chapter 3 verse 17 says, And that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, I pray that you, being rooted and firmly established in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the length and width, height and depth of God's love and to know Christ's love that surpasses knowledge so that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. I would love it if you guys, every one of you in this room were deeper than me. I would love it. That you seek his word and you ask for wisdom, that you ask for understanding, that you be taught by the Spirit rather than by Rusty. I pray that the Spirit's working through me. You are taught, that you're able to hear. And I promise you that I, I could go stand out there in the lobby and as you walk out, every one of you have heard a different message this morning. Why, why is that? because there's a Holy Spirit inside of you that's speaking to you. It's causing you to stop on something, to think on something, dwell on something, and then you catch up with me like 10 minutes later. I get it. I understand that. That's the way he works. And this is important. Verse 14, then we will no longer be little children tossed by the waves and blown around by every wind of teaching, by human cunning with cleverness in the techniques of deceit. When he's talking about children here, he's literally talking about non-speaking infants. That they, you really have nothing to say. I'll be honest with you. When I started ministry, I didn't have much to say. I was taught, you know, A plus B equals C. And if you do this, you know, here's your evangelism band. You can wear these different colors and all these different formulas and everything else. Uh... And I would get up there and I would teach the students this stuff that I was taught, you know, all my life. And I didn't have much to say. I wanted to be playing games and hanging out with the kids. And, but then as I came to understand my identity in Christ, it was like, oh, all of a sudden, give me a microphone. 
I just want to teach people about who they are and w- because I've discovered about myself to have that opportunity. But I, I still think about taking our teenagers uh, to Oklahoma and putting them in a Southern Baptist youth camp. <laughs> yeah, you laugh. It was pretty funny. But literally, th- this, this youth camp was at my uh, alma mater, my university, Oklahoma Baptist University, and we took like, I don't know, 10 dozen kids to Oklahoma, and we filtered them in with the rest of the kids. It wasn't like my kids were uh, secluded and you know, excluded from the rest of the group, but we filtered them in, and every night, every night, we would get together, and they would throw red flags up. Here's what I heard today. Here's what I heard today. This doesn't fly. This doesn't fly. This doesn't fly. And to sit there and say, you're no longer be little children tossed by the waves and blown around by every wind of teaching. Like they could figure out their identity rather than, oh, you need to confess this. You need to like get in your Bible every morning and you need to do this and you need to do this and da 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 da. They figured it out. And that's what he's literally saying, that you mature in your faith and your understanding because you're going to hear some crazy things from some religious people. They, and they have good intentions. They love Jesus. They love Jesus. And they want you to love Jesus. But man, they can mess you up theologically. And unless you figure this thing out, verse 15 but speaking the truth in love, let us grow in every way into him who is the head, Christ. <laughs> you know, uh, the, true, the true believer, the true Christian, fears God with a trembling reverence. And yet, he's not afraid of God at all. Think about that for a second. Man, I, I'm not afraid of God, but there's this reverence that just like, whoa, that believer like draws near to him with the full assurance of their faith and victory and victory that's a that's an important deal if you don't understand that you've been redeemed and that you've been forgiven you're going to walk around here with your head hung low and depressed if you understand that you're a child of god that you've got a new heart and that you're forgiven you're going to walk around victorious there's a difference when you understand. I'm going to read uh, one of my, I have very few theologians that I follow, but Tozer is one of them, A.W. Tozer. He says this, In an effort to get the work of the Lord done, we often lose contact with the Lord of the work and quite literally wear out our people as well. I have heard more than one pastor boast that his church was a live one pointing to the printed calendar as a proof. Something, <clears throat> something on every night and several meetings during the day. A great many of these time-consuming activities are useless and others plain ridiculous. But, say the eager beavers who run the religious squirrel cages, they provide fellowship and they hold our people together. To this I reply that what they provide is not fellowship at all. And if that is the best thing the church has to offer to hold people together, it is not a Christian church in the New Testament meaning of that word. The center of attraction in a true church is the Lord Jesus Christ. 
If the many activities engaged in by the average church led to the salvation of sinners or the perfecting of believers, they would justify themselves easily and triumphantly, but they do not. My observations have led me to the belief that many, perhaps most of the activities engaged in by the average church do not contribute in any way to the accomplishing of the true work of Christ on earth. I hope I'm wrong, but I'm afraid I'm right. We have to stay focused. You're going to hear us say that all the time. We are learning to live our life by another source. That life being Jesus. And then the last verse, verse 16 we look at. From him, the whole body, fitted and knit together by every supporting ligament, promotes the growth of the body for building itself up in love by the proper working of each individual part. Through these individual relationships right here in this room, within this body, the whole body grows. Like there's relationships that are happening all over this room. Encouraging one another. Things, things that I don't even know about. And as that happens, this body grows. Because Christ is empowering you just as much as he's empowering me. And that joining of the ligaments, that joint right there where two believers, each of you possessing different spiritual gifts, when you come together and you make those work together, it's actually a beautiful thing. That joint is where the Holy Spirit passed from one believer to the other. And I believe spiritual gifts can be passed on through the engagement with one another. Like learning from one another. The principle of the cross is this. Doing things for what others might receive than what might we receive. Did you, did you catch that? You're blessed. It's not about what I get out of it, but what we get out of it. It's not for my benefit, it's for your benefit. And I think about this, if, a, if an isolated Christian, they're by themselves, they can't minister to others, nor can others minister to them. It's impossible for the gifts to be ministered either way if you're isolated. I've got people in this room that feel isolated. Know that you're not. You're not isolated. There's people in this room, and you don't even know it, that love you and care about you. The evil one will tell you that you're alone. That nobody wants to hang out with you. I hear it. I hear it. I know you do. But I know it's not true. Because that's not the way God designed the whole body fitting together, knitting together, working together. 
the body of Jesus Christ is at rest, is at rest, yet it works. That's us. We're at rest, but man, it's working. In us and through us. Lord, I pray that... um, I don't want any force unity in this group. I pray that it's just the natural byproduct of us understanding who we are and what we are. That you continue to unpack that. I pray for those that uh, are, do feel isolated. That you would cause them to understand that they're deeply loved in this room and cared for. So I pray for wisdom. I pray for knowledge. I pray for understanding in this room and deep spiritual growth, whatever that means. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.